You're listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Mountain City Church. In this year's Advent sermon series, The Great Gift, we celebrate the faith, hope, and peace that are ours in the foundation of our incarnate Savior. If you have your Bibles, please turn with me to 1 Peter. We're going to be in 1 Peter this morning. I know that you probably naturally go to Luke and like, okay, it's Luke, right? We've been, Luke, we were, we were talking about it at our elder meeting. It's like, do we want to shift and do something a little bit different for a little while and come back to Luke? And we kind of decided, well, it's been working. It's good. Um, we started Luke last Christmas and we'll be in Luke past next Christmas and into next year. But it's, it's all good because it is the gospel. Let me also start by thanking everybody who made desserts, who served um, to make Marlene's funeral um, a blessing for their family. I know they are so much appreciative of being able just to come and and have a meal together after, you know, a, a day of grieving and, and saying goodbye to Marlene. So I just want to thank everybody who uh, stepped up and stepped in to serve um, during that time. It is much Appreciated. So let me pray for us and we'll dive in to see what God has for us today. Father, thank you so much for this day. Thank you, Lord, that we are here to hear your word. Lord, I pray that you will use me to encourage those that are within the sound of my voice to look to the, to the only hope that is never ending, that is solid as solid could be, and that is Jesus. Lord, I pray as we see Peter talk about this living hope, Lord, that you will give us the ears to hear and the eyes to see who you are and all that you have done for us as we look at the greater gift, which is Jesus. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys, if you were here last week, Eric kicked off our Advent series, The, the Greater Gift. So we were thinking of what Jesus is the greater gift. I know that a lot of times during Christmas times we get into mode. We're thinking about what is the best gift for to give our loved ones and things like that to show them how much you love them. But Jesus is the greater gift. And we're looking at uh, how faith, hope, and peace, the, the faith, hope, and peace that is ours in the foundation of our incarnate Savior, who is Jesus which is what we're celebrating at Christmas, the incarnation. Jesus stepping out of heaven and becoming a man for the purpose of saving his own. Emmanuel, God with us. We began with faith last week. Our faith is not a leap in the dark with as much talk about faith in today. It is not a leap in in the dark. Our faith has an object and that object is a person. A person who was promised 4,000 years ago to be the serpent crusher. That's kind of where Eric started last week as he unpacked Genesis 3 and showed us that there was a promise that Jesus was going to fulfill. The one who Abraham had faith in to fulfill the promise of a great nation, which is represented here today. The one who will... Defeat sin, death, and the devil. The one through all things were made and the one who gives light and life to men. Jesus, the object of our faith. There is no greater gift. Today we will turn our eyes to the future, to hope. Hope is the fuel by which we live. We might not realize this day in and day out, but truly hope is the fuel by which we live by each and every day. 
You think what happens whenever hope is taken away and how you feel and how you live. Hope is truly the fuel that we need each and every day. Martin Luther said this, everything that is done in the world is done by hope. No husband man would sow a grain of corn if he hoped not it would grow up and become seed. Or no tradesman would set himself to work if he did not hope to reap benefit thereby. Now, as we look to our passage today, the apostle calls the hope that is ours in the foundation of our incarnate Savior a living hope. It is a living hope. As we read in 1 Peter verses, chapter 1, verses 3-5, through 5, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. So before we dive into this passage today, I wanted to take a moment to unpack hope just a little bit more. Just so we fully understand whenever we talk about the word hope, what are we actually talking about? Some kind of definitional uh, level type things. Hope is the feeling of anticipating a future that's better than the present. It's kind of being in that state of anticipating. You're, you're hoping for something. You're anticipating something to come. It hasn't happened yet, but we're anticipating it. Where we often err is when our hope is rooted in our desires. That's usually where we err in our hope. Let me give you an example. Okay, tonight they're calling for snow. Now, if you're sitting here today and, and maybe you're, you have to travel tomorrow, maybe you have to travel for work, or maybe um, you're a college student and you get to take your last final and you get to travel home, so you're probably hoping that it, okay, it can snow, but don't snow a ton. That's, you're anticipating for what may happen tomorrow. But for those that are downstairs and a little bit older and still in school, they're all hoping that it snows a foot. And why are they hoping that? Because they're anticipating if it snows a foot, we don't get to go to school tomorrow. But the wonderful world of the internet is kind of taking that way, taking that away nowadays. They don't even get that. So that's how our desires fuel our hope. Does that make sense? Like we desire not for there to be a lot of snow because I have to travel. And obviously I desire to be safe and get to where I need to go. And a child that's in school is desiring for lots of snow so that I don't have to go to school because I desire to be much more hanging out at home, doing whatever happens at home whenever a snow day happens. So a lot of times our hope gets just, you know, it gets derailed. It gets off path because it is rooted in our desires. But biblical hope is not based on our desires. You know what? And, and a lot, another way that we get derailed, another way that we get off path is when our hope is centered in and rooted in our circumstances. And that is not biblical hope either. That is optimism. Optimism is about choosing to see in any situation how circumstances could work out for the best. Biblical hope is not focused on our circumstances. If God is sovereign and he is in control and he has promises that everything he does in our life is working good for us, then we don't have to be optimistic because we know for certain that 
whatever comes to us tomorrow is for our good and our benefit. It might not feel good. We might grieve. We might have sorrow. We might have pain. But ultimately, he's working it for our good because he is sovereign, and that's what he has told us in his word. So biblical hope is not focused on our circumstances. In fact, hopeful people in the Bible often recognize there's no evidence things will get better. But they still chose to hope anyway. Like the prophet Hosea, he lived in a dark time when Israel was being oppressed by foreign empires. And he chose hope when he said God could turn this valley of trouble into a door of hope. Like the day when Israel came up from the land of Egypt. As they walked through dry ground. And they were delivered. You would see in the writings later on where they had hope. That God could save them again just like he did then. It's God's past faithfulness that motivates hope for the future. It's his character. It's what he's done in the past. It's who he is and the promises that he has fulfilled. It's God's past faithfulness that motivates hope for the future. It's an assurance. It's a hope that it is not unwavering. It's because it's rooted in God and his faithfulness. So you look forward by looking backward, trusting in nothing other than God's character. It's like the poet of Psalms 39 who says in Psalms 39, 7, And now, O Lord, for what do I wait? My hope is in you. No matter what, I, what I, might be on the horizon for me, my hope is in you because I know who you are. I know what you have done. And I know the promises that you have given me. And I know that nothing on this side of heaven can touch me because you have already saved me and I am in Christ. And no matter what happens to me, I will be with you. And there is the root of hope. So biblical hope is focused on a person and his name is Jesus. Biblical hope is focused on a person and his name is Jesus. The earliest followers of Jesus cultivated true hope. They believe that Jesus' life, death, and resurrection was God's surprising response to our slavery to evil and death. Like the prophet Hosea, he lived in... Oh, the empty, the empty tune opened up a new door of hope, a living hope, which takes us to our passage today. Peter is writing this letter to people who are suffering. We see this in the verse just following ours. We see this in 1 Peter 6 and 7. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found... To result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. I found this statement that I thought was really spot on. There is no way to get through life unless you know how to get through suffering. And there's no way to get through suffering unless you have a living hope. There's no way to get through life unless you know how to get through suffering. And there's no way to get through suffering unless you have a living hope. 
So what exactly is Christian hope? In verse 13 of of this chapter, Peter says this, Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. The coming of Christ is a matter of complete confidence for all the writers in the New Testament. So the command, hope fully, means be intensely desirous and fully confident that Jesus Christ is coming again with grace for his people. Another example outside of 1 Peter would be Hebrews 6.11, where it says, We desire each one of you to show the same earnestness in realizing the full assurance of hope to the end. So we can define hope in the New Testament sense as full assurance or self-confidence that God is going to do good to us, or strong confidence that God is going to do good to us in the future. I said self-confidence, and I'm like, that's not right. That's unbiblical. I did not write that, right? Full assurance or strong confidence that God is going to do good to us in the future. Yesterday at Marlene's funeral, she had the family had Nate sing "Amazing Grace" or "Change Are Gone," and one of the lines in there is, "God will do good to me." That's our hope. It's in a person. It's in God. It's in His promises. It's in this confidence that God will do good to us in the future. It's not based on our desires, not based on our circumstances, a confidence because of Jesus, because of the second advent, the second coming of Jesus. God will do good to us. Is there any greater gift than you can receive than knowing the God of the universe? And just stop and think about this. Is there any greater gift that you can receive than knowing that the God of the universe, the creator of all things, has sat you down today in a pew to tell you, because you are in Christ, because I love you so much that I sent my son to be born of a virgin, to live a sinless life, and to die for you, I will do good to you in the future. That's what he wants to say to you today. That is what is the root of Your hope. I mean, just think about all that God has done on your journey to find you here today to hear that God will do good to you in the future. That should spring forth hope within our hearts. But there is something even more peculiar about Christian hope. Peter calls it a living hope. What does that mean? The opposite of living hope would be a dead hope. And that calls to mind James, where he talks about a dead faith. Faith without works is dead, is what James says in 2.26. That is, faith is barren, fruitless, unproductive. So living faith, and by analogy, living hope, would be fruitful, productive. Is it a hope that actually brings about action in our lives? Living hope is hope that has power and produces change in our life. That is what living means in Hebrews 4.12 where it says the word of God is living and effective. It's actually working in us. It's changing us. It's moving us from one glory to another. So Christian hope is a strong confidence in God which has power to produce change in how we live. 
It has a power to it, where it produces the change the way we live. Paul Tripp says it this way. We, what we hope in will determine our present actions. What we hope in, what we are trusting in, what we are believing is coming will determine our today's actions. Let me give you an example. I'm sure it hits all of us at some point in time. When you get angry with someone, your hope is determining your actions. What you're hoping in is determining the actions of anger. It's the outward response of what you're hoping in. You are angry because someone is taking away something that you desire, something that you have placed your hope in. See how that works? What you're hoping in determines your present actions. But see, God has given us a new heart with a new hope so that you can change how you live in that moment. If we're trusting in him, if we're trusting in him for our future, then whatever at that moment that we desire, whatever in that moment that we're trusting in that someone might be pushing up against or someone might be trying to take away that causes us to be angry, it can go away. Why? Because we trust in God. Because we trust in Christ. Because we've been given a new heart. And we know that God is going to do, be, do good to us in the future. So how does this kind of hope arise in our hearts? How is it, how do we fan it into flames or how does it fueled? One part of the answer is given here in verse three. Another part is given a little bit later down in, in the text in verses 23 through 25. In verse three, Peter says, we are born anew to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That is our hope arises from being born anew by being born again. And this new birth comes in some sense through Jesus' resurrection. Now, there is a big gap between the resurrection of Jesus and our new birth 2,000 years later. Verses 23 through 25 later on in, in this chapter actually helps us fill in this gap. It says this, Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding Word of God. And there's the bridge to the gap, which is the Word of God. For all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flowers falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. That's how we bridge the gap. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. It is the gospel. It's the gospel. That word is the good news which was preached to you, connecting the historical resurrection of Jesus and my life 2,000 years later. It is the word of God that does that. It is the gospel that does that. See, brothers and sisters, the gospel is not something that we needed back here for us to be saved. The gospel is something we need each and every day. So it brings about that hope within our heart to be reminded that we are saved, to be reminded of what Christ has done for us, to be reminded that, that he resurrected, that one day, no matter what happens to us in this life, just like Marlene trusted in, that she will be resurrected one day as well. And it is that gospel message, it is the word that fuels that, 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 
that brings and fans into flame in our heart the hope that we have. The gospel is the message preached in the power of the Holy Spirit that Jesus Christ died for our sins according to the scripture, that he was buried and that he rose again in the third day according to the scriptures as we read in 1 Corinthians. So in verse 3, we are born anew through the resurrection of Jesus. But in verse 23, we are born anew through the living and abiding word, the news of Jesus' death and resurrection. It's an ongoing thing that fans into flame this hope that we have, being reminded of what Christ has done for us in the resurrection. And how these two means work together is not hard to understand. The resurrection of Jesus does not produce hope without our hearing about it. Before it can produce hope in our heart, we have to get the news. That's why it's called good news, the gospel. It is good news. And it's just to be proclaimed. And God does the work. But the other way is true as well. Words by themselves don't produce hope. There has to be some assurance that they are true. We have to have some evidence that Jesus really did rise from the dead or, as Paul also said, we are just foolish. We are the fools. If the Pharisees and the scribes have been able to produce the body of Jesus on Pentecost, Peter could have preached till he was blue in the faith, face and no one would have been born anew unto a living hope. That's why Paul, when he defined the gospel, as I read earlier in 1 Corinthians 15, he went on to say, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. He is not a leap in the dark, and, and the resurrection is just not some story. It's a historical event that happened. So therefore, that good news is just not words. It is something that we can trust in and believe in. Christian hope is a living hope arises in the heart through hearing a credible testimony to the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. It's a credible testimony because of those who actually saw our risen Christ after he came out of the tomb. It fans into flame our heart. So the proclamation of the gospel that Jesus Christ died for our sins according to scriptures, that he was buried and that he rose again in the third day according to scriptures is not just something that brings you out of the grip of Satan, from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light, from being dead to being alive. The ongoing proclamation of the gospel is the fuel we need produce a living hope which produces change that is needed. Because God's will for your life is to be sanctified, to move from one glory to another. And for 2 Corinthians 3.18 says it this way, And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Jesus is the greater gift and the foundation of our hope. Do you have this living hope? Do you make the effort to feed this living hope by reading the word of God, participating in gospel community? Or is your hope dead today? 
If your hope is dead today, the good news is that God's grace and mercy is available to you today in the form of repentance. God has loved you so much that you are again hearing the gospel proclaimed. Peter gives us great assurance that this hope has been secured for all those who have been born again. So if you're here today, you have great assurance in this hope. Peter says it this way, this inheritance to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. It's pretty amazing that here we have a promise that is guaranteed for us to keep, and, 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 the, and the person that's keeping it is God himself. That's pretty remarkable. The resurrection of Jesus gives us hope because it proves that death is not the last word. Death could not hold him, and it cannot hold us if we are united to him by faith. An inheritance is a gift based on a relationship, not a wage for a performance. You're not earning your way to heaven. It is a free gift given by a gracious and loving God. Because the gift rests on the Father's grace and covenant, and because God keeps us safe, our inheritance is safe. Our inheritance is safe. There's, you can't lose it. There's no way to lose it. In language that is almost poetic in, in the original, Peter says that this inheritance is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. One commentator said it this way, nothing can spoil our inheritance. It is untouched by death, unstained by evil, unimpaired by time. It is compounded of, of immortality, purity, and beauty. Nothing can jeopardize it and nothing can ruin it. Nothing, nothing can keep this inheritance from us. Peter declares nothing can keep it keep us from it. Nothing can keep this inheritance from us and nothing can keep us from it. Our inheritance is kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. See, it's God who keeps the inheritance for us and he keeps us for the inheritance. He keeps the treasure for us and he guards us so that we will properly enjoy it. So he comes in, in the depths of our sin and he saves us. And he puts us on a path and he says, okay, I'm, Joe, I'm going to put you on this path. And I, I have a great plan for you. And I have a, someday you'll be with me in heaven and someday you'll be with me in the heavens and earth. And all by the way, I am going to make sure through the word of God and the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit that I'm going to keep you on that path. So that one day you will be there with me. That's hope. Nothing in this world can give us that kind of hope. We think things give us hope and it takes about 3.2 seconds for it to fail us. And then we're looking for something else. That is the hope that God has given us. Our inheritance is kept in heaven for you. It is kept in heaven for you. God's the one that keeps the treasure for us. And he guards us so that we will properly enjoy it. 
He's the one that does it. He's the one that does it. So I want you to take a journey back with me to, to Genesis 22. God speaks to Abraham. He says, Abraham, go sacrifice your son Isaac. This is in Genesis 22. Just for those that might not be so familiar with the life of Abraham, Abraham was promised a great nation, and he had only one son, Isaac. God tells him to go sacrifice him. Abraham says, I trust you, Lord, and he goes. He gets everything that is required. He goes to the place that that God told him to go. He lives his servants at the bottom of the mountain, and they ascend to the top of the mountain. We pick up the story in verse 7 of Genesis 22. It says this, And Isaac said to his father Abraham, My father, and he said, Here I am, son. He said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? So here, Isaac is like, wait a minute, I, I know how this happens. <laughs> I, 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 I've been there whenever they sacrifice for sin. I, I know what's going on here, but I, I see the wood. I understand that. Um, but where is the lamb? Where is the, the sacrifice, the bull, whatever the sacrifice might be? Abraham said, God will provide for himself. The lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went both of them together. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Pretty sure, right? At this point, Isaac's getting the picture. Now, you got to remember that the promise to Abraham was that you will have a great nation. That your descendants will be as many as the stars in the sky. But yet he only had one son, Isaac. Now God has called him to sacrifice him. And this is one of the most wonderful pictures of obedience we find in Scripture. Next to Jesus going to the cross. Which obviously, is, this is a picture of exactly that. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. So you see the picture here. Abraham trusting God, maybe just believing that, okay, even if I have to sacrifice my son, God will just raise him up. God God has a plan. At this point in time, God has a plan. Brothers and sisters, every single one of us, each and every day, not maybe this dramatically, Come to that point. Do we trust God or do we not trust God? Do we step into the hope that we have or do we hope in something else? But Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. 
And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in the thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. In other words, God provided the sacrifice. And then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven. And he said, by myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you. So here's a second promise. I'm, I'm going to bless you. And I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of, of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. Because you have obeyed my voice. So God comes, gives the sacrifice, and then he says, I will bless you. Verse 16 is the key. It's the key to our hope. It is the key to our hope that is found in Jesus. By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this, and I have not withheld your son. So in other words, God's saying that I swear to you. I swear on something higher, which is myself. I'm swearing on myself that I will fulfill this promise. You see that picture? So now let's listen again, knowing that story and hearing that. Let's listen again to what Sam read to us today. Hebrews 6, 13 through 20. For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself. That's what we just read. Saying, surely I will bless you and multiply you. That's the verses we just read. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. He obtained that promise. For people swear by something greater than themselves, and in all the disputes, an oath is final for confirmation. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he had guaranteed it with an oath. In other words, this is my purpose, this is my promise, this is what I'm going to do. Just like when I said that, that God, God has saved you, he's given you a living hope, and he's, he's fulfilling your purpose, and one day you will be with him. It's the same path. God swears by himself. Let me read verse 17 again. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise, the unchangeable character of his promise, he guaranteed it with an oath. So that by two unchangeable things, so you got two things working, you got the oath. He's swearing by himself, something that we can't get any higher than God. In which it is impossible for God to lie. There's the second thing. It's his character. He cannot lie. If he makes a promise, he cannot lie. He's called us to this living hope. He's putting us on a path. He has a great purpose. He will do good for us. He cannot lie. Who we have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast. Here it is. To the hope set before us. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. A hope. Now, this hope is Jesus. 
a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain, where Jesus was gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having becoming a high priest forever at the order of the Melchizedek. Do you see how he has fulfilled? He is our hope. He is the promise fulfilled. And just like he fulfilled this promise for Abraham, he, one day he's coming back to fulfill the promise that God gave for us. That is the hope that we have in the second advent when Christ returns. See, this is where our hope comes from when we get the cancer diagnosis. This is where the hope comes from when a family member is hurting. This is the hope that allowed Marlene to encourage Harry to go be with Jesus and that she would join him soon. You see, Jesus is our hope. He secured an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. This is the living hope we have in Jesus. This is the greater gift that we have been given. Jesus is our hope. Is he yours today? Is he yours today? Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much that you have given us this living hope. Lord, I pray today that if somebody here does not know you, Lord, as they heard the good news, as I read straight from Scripture, the declaration of what Christ has done, Lord, I pray that you have sent or will send your Spirit to change their hearts. Give them the gift of faith so they, must, they may tr- trust in you. Lord, I pray that you would make that happen today. And for all of us who live in this fallen world with fallen bodies, Lord, as we get up each day and, and have a myriad of things face us, Lord, as we suffer, Lord, I pray that we be reminded of the hope we have in you. The inheritance that you've given us, that you keep for us. Lord, I pray that you would help us see that and rejoice today. And rejoice. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Mountain City Church. To learn more about our church, visit our website at mountaincty.church. Thanks again, and may the Lord bless your week.